We're doing great. <laughs> I'm Brianna. I'm Sarah. <laughs> and we are the, the Squad, squad Ghouls. <laughs> oh my god. Just a couple of creepy cows that love creepy things. We're doing great. <laughs> doing great. I had wine. Uh, yeah, we may or may not have um, disappeared a bottle of wine. <laughs> it's fine. We're doing it's, great. Our, our booze news is going to be B-O-O-Z-E. Right. <laughs> it's uh, again it's been a week everybody i know and i know that we say that every week but i mean this one was really yeah, a week it really was we really mean it this time i think i slammed my keyboard on my desk at least half a dozen times <laughs> you ever seen that meme where there's a guy at work and he's just throwing papers everywhere because he's done yeah that that was me Every day this week. I was the one with the, the cat that's like this. Oh. And, the, and then, like, shoves the keyboard off. Like. Yep. Meh, 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 meh. <laughs> yep. Just kidding. I love my job. Yeah. I love it. I really do. I love I just, this job. Yeah. <laughs> I the want, podcasting job. I want this to be my job. If anyone who's recently won the lottery would like to adopt us. Yes. Um. Please call us. We'll give you our social security numbers. <laughs> Let's get the adoption process started. Please. Um, can we start, wait, like, in the arms of Make your angel. best sad face. <laughs> no, you know how bad this week was? This week was so bad that... You know the little sugar baby requests that sometimes creepy old guys will send you on Instagram? Like, mm-hmm. I'll give you an allowance of $2,000 a month or whatever it may be. No, it's usually like a grand a week or something stupid like that. Like, yeah. I'll give you a grand or two grand a week. I actually considered replying to one of them. <laughs> I know. I would, I, I would really like one of them to be real, though. Some of them look moderately real. Like, I'm people that have a legit number of followers, like... They've got at least six or seven hundred. I entertained a, a request mm. once. I'm like, do I just got to touch your feet? Is that it? Jared would understand. Yeah. Well, he just said, I just want conversation. I was like, oh, I'm really good at that. Fully clothed conversation? Or Yeah. No, no, no. And he just wanted like sexy pictures. You know, uh, life, I could do that. life goals is that 60-year-old dominatrix that charges men $150 to clean her house. How do I get that job? Ooh, I would like that. I would like that a lot. I want that job. Because then I'd also have a really clean house. Oh, yeah. Jared wouldn't care. He'd be like, okay, whatever. He's like, all right. Just don't, don't hurt him too much. No guarantees. Right? <laughs> no <laughs> promises. <laughs> he may get hurt. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I got a joke for you that's actually um, appropriate for our episode theme today. Oh, yay. What are two freshly married spiders called? I don't know what. Newly webbed. Aww. That's cute. Although two freshly married spiders in my house is called dead. Yeah, it's called we burn the house down if you miss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I have a joke. Okay. Okay. Why are pumpkins better than men? Why? If you don't like the way he looks, you just carve up another face. Ooh. The the pizza in my stomach just like gurgled a little bit. <laughs> I was like, it's mean, but I can't it's funny. I can't tell if I'm disturbed or if that's the pizza talking. It could be both. I'd probably both. I thought it was funny. I ate most of my pizza. I'm in by a dark myself. place. 
It's okay, friend. Live your truth. <laughs> but anyway, mm-hmm. shall we get into our booze news? We should. Okay. Booze news. Booze news. All right. Some fun Marvel news. Well, half Marvel and more of another Blade movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, with Marvel currently developing a feature film that will bring the Vampire Slayer Blade into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I didn't know if you know, but Mahershala Ali. I did know that. I'm like, yes, he's going to be Blade. That's yes. Like perfect. But anyway, so you may be wondering if we'll ever see the Wesley Snipes version of Blade on the screen again. Mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> but Snipes has recently stated that he at least be open to appearing in the new Marvel Blade in some capacity, but it also sounds like he's working on a companion project of his own. So he was um, uh, speaking to uh, Uprox this week and uh, Snipes teases that he's referring to as his blade on steroids. So he says, we think it's going to, it's going to smoke all the blade stuff, which, well, we don't know because we don't know what Marvel's going to do with it. Truthfully, that's not hard to do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There I said it. All the other blade stuff. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, but he continues saying that um, we have two we have two things one uh, one which is a female action franchise Ooh. Yeah. and also uh, what we call our uh, blade killer our blade on steroids and uh, we set our character in the world of shapeshifters and a little bit of time travel but the action is going to be well. <laughs> We did white belt action in Blade. Now we're going to do black belt action. Okay. So, <laughs> remember when they were trying to spice up the Friday the 13th franchise? So, they sent Jason into outer space? That's what this reminds me of. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, no. It's not going to be white belt. It's going to be black belt this time. In space. <laughs> black belt in space. Time traveling. Vampires in space. <laughs> vampires to the future so yeah that'll be interesting (laughs) to see what happens i don't know i don't know wesley snipes cue all the huey lewis in the new songs (laughs) (laughs) we're doing great oh we're doing awesome (laughs) so more fun news. So last year's Scholastic release, the book Creep Show, The Taker, which featured two novellas inspired by Shudder's Creep Show. Mm-hmm. And another book is on the way this year. Yay! So Creep Show, The Cursed, will be released on April 6th. Um, once again, we're going. Uh, we're getting two new stories, and from this one, in the first tale, a girl's fantasy of living in an earlier era becomes all too real after she buys a piece of antique jewelry. This sounds like one of our stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and in the second tale, in the woods, a pair of teens encounter a green glowing figure whose desires are as mysterious as its origins. Ooh. Ooh. so creep show the curse was written by ellie cooper and you could pre-order your copy today groovy reading is fundamental it is <laughs> i'm sure that everybody asks you this 
all the time because you love vintage stuff as much as I do. Everybody consistently asks me if I could live in any era, what era would I live in? My answer is always this one or later. I'm a woman. I'm going to the future where things get better for us. <laughs> right. I, I ain't going backwards. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, can I take the clothes from the old days and then just take it with me to the future? I'll take the clothes. I'll take the furniture. I'll take the jewelry. I will not take the decade. The fe- the future is female. Mm-hmm. Or the future at least is where you're way less shitty than... The hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> I just like that sticker. I've seen that sticker everywhere yeah (laughs) so first up uh spike lee is going to be taking on cthulhu in a new netflix film uh called gordon hemingway and the realm of cthulhu i like all where this is going so far i like this quite a bit especially considering that um our dear friend was such a terrible racist in the first place Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that this is going to be much, 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 much better. Yes. Sorry, Mr. Lovecraft. Yeah, right. <laughs> Should have had better value, sir. <laughs> um, so he's going to be producing with Oliver Oftel and Tom Olson. So the film's going to be following a black American adventure hero who teams up with a fearsome Ethiopian princess warrior uh, to rescue her regent from a mystical ancient evil force. Mm. I'm here for this. I'm definitely here for this. Um, You know what I was not here for was that movie Underwater with case Stewart. oh man with case two and you know they tried to save it at the very end by having an underwater cthulhu <laughs> it didn't really do much for me no no i, I thought it was very long-winded yeah and i was hoping for a little more backstory but you know yeah we really didn't get that no it just like boom she brushed her teeth and boom yeah just now water we're just, everywhere we're trying to walk in the water to the other base yes Sorry, Tony Stark died. With Cthulhu. (laughs) You're welcome all. Um, And then another news, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone will not return on CBS All Access when it's rebranded as Paramount Plus next month. Well. Yeah. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah. I kind of liked it. You know, truthfully, I didn't watch any of it. Because, oh, really? No, because... But I know you're, you're, you're a purist. You like the original. I am I am that curmudgeonly old person <laughs> that doesn't understand why they have to use their debit card to pay places. Um, I don't understand why I can't use cash. Um, I, 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 Rod Sterling was just such a genius. Yes. And not every episode of the OG Twilight Zone was good, lest we forget the one with agatha from bewitched where she plays like the giant alien yes but but she looks like a person and then the little aliens that come and invade her house were actually humans from earth going to another (laughs) planet planet run by giants yeah that one was pretty terrible yeah um so they, they obviously they weren't all winners but there were some really wonderful ones i mean baby william shatner folks hot baby william shatner Mm -hmm. so among other names i i need to watch them i'm sure that they're probably fine and i just need to go into it knowing that i'm there there are some that are amiss yeah i'm not shocked but um but a good majority of them i enjoyed well i think i need to go into this knowing that i'm 
I am not going to enjoy it as much as I enjoyed the original Twilight Zone. And that is okay. Okay. Yeah. I just need to like level set that expectation, but it's it's on my list of things to watch while I'm on the treadmill. But yes. I'm a little backlogged. So Well be careful on the, the treadmill though. I don't want you to fall off. Oh my god, what was it? Okay, so um <laughs> it happened, it'll, it'll be for it was when you were watching um uh the haunting of uh hill house no 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 or it, not, it, not. Ha- it happened again recently oh wait yeah that's right it happened again recently when i was watching the chilling adventures of sabrina and oh that's right you told me that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i was watching the episode with um one of the eldritch terrors the first eldritch terror the the uninvited <laughs> yeah and and when the mom closed the door in his face and then she turned around and boom he's there and, and scared the living shit out of me i didn't fall off but i almost did okay um so anyway Back to Twilight Zone. And for those that didn't know, yes, your CBS All Access subscription is being rebranded as Paramount Plus next month. Yay. So, heads up. Um, CBS actually wanted to continue the series, but Jordan Peele and fellow executive producer Simon Kinberg wanted to walk away. Ah. So... Well, Jordan Peele busy. Yeah, he real busy. Um, so ran for two seasons, and Paramount Plus's head of programming actually said Jordan Peele, Simon Kinberg, and the entire production team truly reimagined the Twilight Zone for the modern age. They upheld the classic series legacy of socially conscious storytelling and pushed today's viewers to explore all new dimensions of thought-provoking and topical themes that we hope will resonate with audiences for years to come. That's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> well i liked it i'm I'm sure it's fine maybe eventually you'll get to it i'll get to it yeah i i will get to it it's just i'm sure it'll be fine (laughs) it's it's not gonna i know it's not gonna be my favorite it's gonna be fine yes it'll be good yes (laughs) well we are in march oh my god (laughs) it just came up so a few celebrations this month it is Irish American Heritage Month. My people. Yeah. It's a fourth of my people. The motherland. <laughs> and also, I wanted to note that it is also Women's History Month as whoop, well. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, go women. The future is female. Okay, anyway. So, um, this, uh, well, today, for today's episode, we thought that we would share a couple of uh, really cool charities that support the Irish community. Well, mine doesn't support the Irish community. It's based in Ireland. But it's based in Ireland. Because I thought that was what we were supposed to do. Yes. (laughs) Again, I had two glasses of wine. (laughs) Continue. (laughs) Uh, Okay, we're doing great. So the, the... cause that i picked is called concern worldwide so they were actually founded in ireland in 1968 by a small group of folks who joined together to respond to the devastating famine in biafra so they launched a nationwide appeal that raised over a quarter of a million pounds in three months so um just keep in mind u.s current exchange rate is like 80 additional percent equals one pound uh and this was in 1968 so exchange that and then multiply it with inflation that's a lot of money yes and if you're outside of the u.s well you know convert to your own 
currency at, as you will. <laughs> um, so yeah, they raised a quarter of a million pounds in three months and quote unquote Africa Concern, which is a non-governmental, non-denominational humanitarian aid organization was created. So their work spread beyond Africa and in the succeeding years, they renamed the organization to Concern Worldwide, which reflected better their global outreach. So over the course of the last 50 years, they've grown from a very small grassroots movement to being a highly respected global organization. And they now are in 23 different countries. They have programs in 23 countries and they help 24.2 million people. Wow. Yeah. So they also maintain really deep roots uh, in effective emergency response while also working to achieve lasting change through long-term development programs. Um, so different disaster response aid, different um, food shortage programs. I mean, all sorts of good stuff that they've done. So Concern Worldwide, based in Ireland, uh, definitely check them out. Donate to a good cause. Yay! Because all the big companies and stuff, they don't need any more money. <laughs> no, they don't. Well, I found a Purple House Cancer Support Center because we all know cancer really sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and anybody that is going through that always need extra support. So um, the this Cancer Community Center is based in Bray. Um, and they offer support and services to people affected by cancer free of charge, mm. which is great. And they support families affected by cancer all over Ireland. It's really great. <laughs> so in order to uh, continue its helpline, um, they have a charity that has produced a book called The Music of What Happens. And it's published by New Ireland, uh, New Island Books, not New Ireland, excuse me, um, it features a, wi a wide range of stories and poems from many Irish writers, including a previously unpublished story by the late author uh, Emma Hannigan, who passed away in 2018. Um, alongside the published authors are stories written by cancer survivors and participants of the Purple House Creative Writing Class. Um, all proceeds from the book will go towards keeping the phone lines open in Purple House and funding food parcels for cancer patients, as well as helping to keep the rest of their cancer support services going. Awesome. Yeah. So you can direct, uh, you can donate directly or you can buy Christmas cards to send, you know, they, any support would be very helpful to keep them going and getting them some, uh, you know, free services because, it's expensive. <laughs> Dude, it's... <laughs> health insurance don't cover everything. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure Ireland has socialized health care. Oh, that's right. But that's fine. It's okay. Yes. We're doing great. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> I think they do. I don't know. Oh. Listeners in Ireland, let us know if you yes. have socialized health care. Meaning you don't have to pay for health insurance. Because I'm sorry to anybody who listens in the U.S. who... Is part of a health insurance company. Mm -hmm. Health insurance is kind of a racket. It is. Yep. Sorry. Definitely. And it's expensive. Too expensive. Way too expensive. <laughs> oh, well, today, haunted Australia, <laughs> because everything there kills you. <laughs> yes. So we we looked at where our listener base is, and we actually have the third highest concentration of listeners in Australia. Yay! So we thought we would talk about some of the more macabre and spooky places um, and 
if we ever did go to Australia, we would definitely visit these things. Your spider scares me too much. I might not go. They also have a list of um, very poisonous snakes. Snakes and there's that. Oh, and that jellyfish too. Nope. No, thank that you. That jellyfish that'll kill you in two minutes. Oh the God. box, the box jellyfish. <laughs> Our listeners in Australia, how do you live how there? How do you survive? <laughs> how have you made it this long? I mean, the spiders, they even have like those, uh, like what, I don't remember the number, but there's like a big chunk of species of spiders that haven't been discovered, but they know that they're like extremely poisonous. They're all in Australia? Yep. The The one that freaked me out is that funnel web spider, because I watched something on Australia and all the the crazy things that will kill you in australia oh and sharks but we have sharks here but Mm -hmm. you've got sharks there too Mm -hmm. um but that fucking spider it showed how when it bites somebody it's got teeth that are so big that when it sinks its teeth into you you actually have to rip it off nope and when i saw that i went nope i'm good i'm sorry sorry australia you're great you look like a beautiful place we might come someday but I'm, I just need a little bit of coaxing because that spider scares me. I'm going to be in a hazmat suit. Well, and I also picture <laughs> that that spider is everywhere because spiders are everywhere here. Like, Jared just killed one on our front porch going to take out the garbage. Yeah, you ran pretty fast. I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> and screamed the whole way. Do not like the spiders. No. So I just picture that there's that big spider with the scary teeth, like, at my doorstep going, <laughs> Like, surprise, I'm here. Surprise, I'm here to kill you. <laughs> My Grim Reaper is a spider. Oh, man. Okay, I'm sorry. Enough enough about the spider. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I keep, like, enough about the spider. Would you like to go first? (laughs) Sure. Okay. (laughs) So, the first place that I looked into is in the city of Wahala. And it is a little small town in uh, Victoria, Australia. And so, basically, this town used to... It was uh, founded by a gold mining community in the late eight, in late 1862, and it used to be home to around like 4,000 residents. Ooh. Now it is a ghost town, basically. But like, now, like the as special song, <laughs> what? Like the special song? Yes. <laughs> this town settled like a ghost town. Okay. <laughs> All the clubs have been toward. Oh my God! It's a song about 2020. Oh boy. Oh. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Anyway, continue. Ghost Town. Yeah. So, but now it has a population of 20 oh permanent residents. Never mind. I'm fucking moving there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's lots of ghosts there. I'll get into that. Australia, I'm coming for you. <laughs> there, they may have spiders there. Oh shit. <laughs> but anyway so um yeah so they have a population of 20 permanent residents though it has a large portion of houses owned as holiday properties so there's some visitors um it has it attracts large numbers of tourists and it is a major focus of the regional uh tourism industry uh and the town's name is taken from an early gold mine in the area uh named for the german hall of fame or Yes, Hall of Fame, the Wahala Temple. Ooh. And the Wahala from Norse, the Norse legend. Oh, I always say that I'm going to Valhalla someday. Valhalla. 
Wahala. <laughs> so I'm probably saying that name totally wrong. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, just look at how gross it is. Oh my God. Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> Did you just put that on your screen? Look Stop that. It. Stop looking it's at so it. It's so gross. Look at his teeth. No, I don't want to look, look at, at his teeth. teeth. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys don't know, I'm closing my eyes right now. I can't even believe you're looking at it. It's got no, teeth. no, 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 no. <laughs> I want to swat <laughs> your tablet. It's so gross. I can't believe you're still scrolling. Oh my god. Why? Because I don't love myself. <laughs> I struggle with self-deprecation. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Valhalla. Now you're gonna now you're gonna feel that crawling all over you no, all night long. No. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> all right. So the history of Valhalla is closely linked to the history of the gold in Victoria. So the first gold had been found in Victoria in 1851, leading to the Victorian gold rush. So by 1859, prospectors had pushed far east of Melbourne into the trackless wilderness of the Great Dividing Range. And major gold strikes on the Jordan River encouraged other prospectors to follow the nearby uh, Thompson River in their search for the valuable metal. So a group of four prospectors who had been exploring in creeks and creeks flowing into the Thompson River Valley found gold in late December 1862. A claim was pegged out and a member from this group, former convict Edward Stringer, (laughs) always a convict, (laughs) um, registered the claim at the stage post town of Bald Hills, now called Seton. Um around about uh january 12th of 1863 although his party were later posthumously presented with a monetary reward of 100 pounds pounds yes pounds it was (laughs) under the control of british rule that's right (laughs) uh for the discovery um stringer was unable to capitalize on his funds dying in of and dying in september of 1863 (laughs) okay After news of the discovery became known, a rush to the creek began and a small town sprang up. The settlement was initially called Stringers or Stringers Creek, but after the township was surveyed, it was later rechristened Wahala, the name of the town's largest mine at the time. Mm. And the the creek running through uh, the town still bears his name. So... And then access to the creek was an ongoing problem in the town's early days, uh, owing to the uh, goldfield's remote and inaccessible location. Uh, In February 1863, two prospectors, John Henchcliffe and William Myers, discovered an immensely rich uh, quartz outcrop in the hill just above the creek, which was named Cohen's Reef after a storekeeper at Bald Hills. So... After the 52-year gold rush period, Wahala's population declined rapidly since the level of gold um, had been extinct. Um, there are tons of ghost tales, and I'll get into, there's actually a ghost tour that you can take, which is really cool. <laughs> so there's been stories um, of a well-dressed gentleman uh, who fades away kind of like like television static, um, and there's also like 
plenty of stories of the cemetery there mm-hmm. that is super duper cursed and there's also stories of a ghostly nurse who named emily who tucks in the sheets around the bed and breakfast guests oh that's very nice of her i know i was like well i mean how's that scary she's tucking me in why the f- <laughs> <laughs> how do i get haunted by someone that'll tuck me in that would probably still freak me out but i know <laughs> i'd be very grateful i mean i'm just saying <laughs> So, but you know, there's all stories like historical facts of the the gold the the gold finds, little like really bad living conditions, and you know the arsenic and the mercury fouled creek that along with, I'm gonna mess this up. Is it silicosis? Yes, silicosis and typhoid (laughs) brought early death to a lot of people who lived in the town. So that's why it's so spooky and haunted (laughs) uh one tale that i read about is of a 21 21 year old bride sarah ann hanks who fell ill with smallpox on the stagecoach journey to wahala in 1869 um it was a quick death but it was very painful death yeah (laughs) they put her husband in quarantine built an eight foot fence around her her house and left her to die oh that's awful yeah the townspeople reported hearing her screaming in agony crying and then towards the end laughing hysterically Mm. and then later sarah's body was thrown down a hole on the hill behind the house Mm. and her her grave was actually just recently discovered (laughs) and um in in march um a memorial service was held to mark her short life and awful death. But she was one of the hordes kind of chasing that fortune, you know, when everybody was trying to get to Wahala when the gold was, you know. It's like California. Yeah. (laughs) What happened here too? Yeah. (laughs) So getting into a little bit of the cemetery and if you look up pictures it's actually really cool i think you would enjoy it so instead of looking at spiders <laughs> no i'm looking at tasmania also really cool yeah didn't know but that. also they have a lot of very poisonous things there well see here's the thing and i'm embarrassed to admit this but my first place takes place on tasmania oh i didn't know that it was a little island this, well i knew it was an island oh i just didn't know it was off of australia i thought it was like up here oh but it's down here yeah that's okay i didn't know that but i also couldn't tell you which way is north right now girl you don't pretend like you knew that no i didn't okay i was like (laughs) you pretended like you knew that you You didn't let me finish i was gonna say i didn't know that okay (laughs) because i'm not good at geography no same i will freely admit that same (laughs) so in Wahala is an old and beautiful cemetery, um, and it is built on a, ste- a steep slope. It's on the side of a valley, and over 1,100 deceased people have been buried there. Uh, many are settlers from the gold mining times. Some of the graves date back to the 1870s. Some people say the bodies were buried standing up, so they didn't slide down to the bottom of the hill and into the town below. <laughs> i love this stuff <laughs> six feet so it's six feet under that's why i don't know maybe they just weren't 
really thinking back then? I don't know. Maybe they're just making it up just to make it cool. Australia, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) But it is said back in the 1870s, there um, have been unexplained deaths that were near the cemetery. um, But those died, but those died like down a little bit later, but you know, little freak stories would come up anyway <laughs> but apparently there's a poltergeist whose name is carl oh hi carl what's up man <laughs> and he was alive um or i'm sorry when he was alive <laughs> sorry he arrived home in 1938 and he found his wife in their bed with another man i hate it when that happens yeah he was enraged at the sight and strangled her there in the bed as you do the other man escaped oh what a i'm not gonna say it yeah once carl realized what he had done he killed himself so he's one of the spooky people walking around the cemetery but anyway but the two were planted in the same grave together oh no (laughs) so one day a child entered the cemetery and threw rocks at their headstones one of those headstones was carl's so while riding home he had an accident that resulted in the chain of his bike wrapping around his neck choking him to death no way The same death happened to the boy's mother when she tried to destroy the tombstone and when um when she got back at home um hanging out um uh, the wash you know on the clothesline uh suddenly it's suddenly snapped and then strangled her too Come on <laughs> So <laughs> and the tombstone of Carl was left undamaged Okay As one of my best friends it's your responsibility to make sure that if Jared ever kills me, don't bury us in the same spot. I want to spend forever with him. I hate him if that happens. <laughs> oh man! Maybe he'll get tired of me buying too many instruments and shoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> but so another cursed grave is another Sarah. <laughs> that's we're just just a lot of sarah's today we're just like real <laughs> angsty so walking home late one night to her eight children Ooh. i mean okay la- last week we talked about 50 so that's nothing <laughs> but not from one person oh, that's true that that's still a lot of kids though yeah <laughs> well she had eight children that's too many hey that's like our octomom yeah, she crazy too. Yeah, she is crazy. What am I talking about? Anyway, like I'm talking like it's normal. <laughs> it's not normal. It's not all the pop out eight humans. <laughs> I mean, by that point, they were probably just falling out. Oh my god, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to like laugh out loud into the mic. <laughs> Look at what I did. I gotta. Okay, I'm gonna have to edit that out. <laughs> i'm so sorry that's my own fault i should have turned my head it's the wine (laughs) don't witch cackle into the microphone (laughs) so she was trying to get home to her eight kids and um (laughs) two of the last ones just fell out (laughs) and for some reason a gang of men started to mess with her and then they killed her so she was buried in the cemetery where uh, men who passed by or approached it would experience harassment or were ultimately cursed. Girl, I don't blame you. <laughs> and she is seen by women as a spirit wearing white in the trees above the grave. It's always a woman in white. Always. 
always. <laughs> some other rumors, some say they experience um, hearing growling, mm-hmm. somebody running or somebody like tugging on their clothes or a feeling of, you know, not being welcomed. You just kind of get this weird feeling when you're in the cemetery. I mean, if I was buried sideways or upright leaning i'd be pissed too yeah like i gotta stand this whole time i'm like i'm sliding on a hill why'd you guys bury me here right this is terrible (laughs) so a big cursed um a grave site a grave that's is of um james mitchell Mm -hmm. uh james died falling down a mine shaft oh that sucks so (laughs) so on top of his grave it says oh let my sudden doom a warning to warning be to all uh even when or while though bendest over my tomb thou mayest as quickly fall that's he's he's cursing everybody Mm -hmm. he pissed (laughs) um and another one or lastly i should say is uh of the gravesite of kitty kane i love that name is it a kitty no (laughs) she was a lady who ran a house of pleasures oh hey girl i know i like it she was a large lady in personality and size that's okay i know i love it (laughs) legend says they found it too difficult to carry her all the way to a hollow for burial burial in the cemetery so they buried her in the vicinity of of aber i'm gonna mess this up sorry of aberfeldy uh the story says that kitty draws men uh, to her for companionship some men have reported feeling her arms so circle their waists dolly parton would be proud i know go ahead kitty so wahala ghost tours are available you can go to uh ghost tour bookings.com.au and adults are 30 dollars childs are uh, children childs childs <sighs> children <laughs> it's 25 dollars concession is 25 dollars i'm not quite sure what they mean by concession australia tell us what concession means please and why is it 25 dollars? yeah unless it's like a box of snacks Ooh. um <laughs> that's what my mind is going i'm here for the snacks and then if you want to come as a whole family it's 80 dollars. oh that's not bad yeah so cool. that is the wahala ghost town interesting enjoy so the first place that I picked is Port Arthur. Ooh, I saw that one. <laughs> yeah. So I pulled info from Atlas Obscura, um, Australian Traveler, and also from the Port Arthur website. Oh. So as mentioned, Port Arthur is actually in Tasmania, which I'm embarrassed to say I did not know that Tasmania <laughs> was an island off the coast of Southern Australia. Uh, I thought that it was up north in that area or to the west, but I didn't realize that it was southern Australia. I just know about that little critter that lives there, and that's what? it. You you mean the Tasmanian devil? That oh, that critter? Taz? Yeah, not oh. like the Looney Tune, but like the actual critter. Oh, see, I'm thinking Looney Tunes. So- <laughs> Yes, he was on Looney Tunes, but sorry, but so sorry. Also, also the critter. Yes, the real, the real one, the real critter. <laughs> um, so Port Arthur was originally founded in 1830, and it was a timber station. But because it was so isolated, it became the ideal place for a prison. No. Yeah, and <laughs> it was quickly converted into Australia's largest and most notorious prison colony. 
So in order to pay for the cost of providing the for the criminals it housed, they also turned the site into a center of industry. So prison industries such as shipbuilding, shoemaking, metalsmithing, and brick making flourished in such an isolated location. Welcome to the very first concept of for-profit prisons. Yeah, right. <laughs> which are illegal in California and most of the United States, but still not all of the United States, as it should be. Um, so, the prison dockyards were actually forced to close down after private shipwrights complained to the government that they couldn't compete with the quality of ships that were being made by prisoners. Again, I say... Welcome to for-profit prisons. Yeah, right. <laughs> AKA modern-day slave labor. Oh boy. Um so because it's on such a remote peninsula, it's naturally protected on three sides by water, and the prison was primarily designed to hold rough convicts who had reoffended since their transportation to Australia for other crimes. So the concept of corporal punishment for crimes against society slowly gave way to new methods of quote unquote rehabilitation, which actually turned out to be more cruel, including forced hard labor. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, so in 1853, cessation of transportation actually resulted in fewer transportees arriving at the station. However, in the 1850s and 1860s, there were years of remarkable activity that aimed to make the station more economically sustainable. Mm -hmm. So uh, Port Arthur is interesting because its story actually did not end with the removal of the last of its convicts. Um, almost immediately, the site was renamed Carnavaron. And during the 1880s, land was parceled up and put to auction with people taking up residence around it. Ooh. And much like your ghost town, uh, it also has an island cemetery known as the Isle of the Dead. I like it. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a uh, Isla de las Muñecas. Yeah, also creepy. Way creepy. <laughs> um, so after the prison closed in 1877, uh, the area was actually redeveloped into a town. Oh. But fires in 1895 and 1897 actually destroyed most of the original prison buildings. Mm. So when I first ended up researching this, what when I figured out that I wanted to do Port Arthur and I typed in Port Arthur, Australia, the first thing that came up was what I'm about to talk about now, Ooh, uh, which is the Port Arthur Massacre that, that occurred in 1996. So, you and I were long alive for this, <laughs> but I don't remember it. Um, so, in on a Sunday, it happened to be a Sunday, on April 28th, 1996, uh, a man named Martin Bryant drove to this now popular tourist spot and opened fire in the cafe, the gift shop, and a surrounding area, killing 35 people and wounding a bunch of other people. Oh, boy. So, it's, this was known as the country's worst mass murder and actually has led to stricter gun control laws, notably a near ban on all fully automatic or semi-automatic firearms. Oh, my hmm. God. Can we get that over huh. here? Imagine that. I'm just saying. <laughs> it was so easy. 
Well, they also don't have a second amendment that they have to oh, overturn. Well, there's also that. Or amend with a two-thirds vote and okay. ratification by to, 38 it, states within X period of time. It's real. Too many things. <laughs> it's real fucking hard to make <laughs> too many things. Over into states. But yeah, imagine. I just killed my wine buzz. <laughs> Um, so super sad at the time of the attacks, Bryant was actually only 28 years old and he lived in Newtown, which is a suburb of a suburb of Hobart. Um, this young man was intellectually disabled with a history of erratic behavior. So he left school early and later received a disability pension following a psychiatric evaluation. Hum, you mean, um, people that may have some sort of deficiency probably shouldn't be allowed to own firearms. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> um, so in 1987, <laughs> he actually started to work as a handyman for a lottery heiress. Oh. And the two became friends. Do like we know this. any, do we know any, again, I go back to my original statement at the top of the episode. If any, if there are any lottery winners that want to adopt us, call me. I'll send you my social security number. Yes. Um, so in 1992, actually, Helen he- Helen Harvey, who was said lottery heiress, died in a car accident that ended up leaving him, se- Bryant, severely injured. Um, so some people actually speculated that he caused the crash since he had been known to grab the wheel while she was driving. However, he obviously denied it. Um, and he was the sole inheritor of her estate. Oh. So he became incredibly wealthy. His father took his own life in 1993, and Brian traveled excessively and started to stockpile firearms. Lovely. Yeah. So, on this day, April 28th, he drove to the Seascape College, also known as the Seascape Get Seascape Guest House, um, which is a nearby inn that his father had once tried to buy. Um, police believe that at that time, he actually killed the owners. Oh. Then he drove to Port Arthur which was a former penal colony, as we know. Um, and he ate at the cafe. And like, how fucking terrible is that? Just go and you kill two people. And then you just go and sit down and eat your do- eat your lunch like nothing fucking happened. Um, <laughs> and then he pulled out a semi-automatic rifle out of a duffel bag and he started shooting. Um, within two minutes, he killed 20 people. And then he continued as he escaped out to his car. And then he stole another vehicle after killing its occupants at a toll booth, um, stopped at a gas station, fatally shot a woman and took a hostage. Oh my gosh. Then went back to the cottage. Um, and when police arrived, they surrounded the inn and tried unsuccessfully to negotiate with him who ended up shooting at them. And then on the morning of April 29th, he set the building on fire and he ended up being caught when, as he was trying to flee. And then super sad investigators actually found three bodies inside. Oh yeah. So, he was eventually caught, and then he ultimately was sentenced to 35 life sentences. So he'll die in prison, but the original cafe was burned to the ground, and a monument has been uh, erected in honor of those that died. So, mm-hmm. you know, little little PSA. Uh, before he was actually captured, Australia had already started to discuss tightening their gun laws, and less than a month after the massacre federal and state legislatures started or they actually drafted up the national firearms agreement which created extensive licensing and registration procedures including a 28-day waiting period for gun sales hmm Hmm. imagine that well yeah 
Um, <laughs> it also banned fully automatic and semi-automatic weapons, except when potential buyers could provide a valid reason, which did not include self-defense, for owning such a firearm. Uh, the federal government also issued a gun buyback program, which resulted in the surrender of some 700,000 firearms. Um, although gun-related deaths dropped dramatically, new rules were sharply actually criticized by gun rights advocates. Yeah, you know, no shock there. Um, you know, it's I always find it interesting to see... the and, and I struggle with Michael Moore documentaries because sometimes they end up being super partisan, mm -hmm. which then kind of defeats the purpose of a documentary. Um, but I actually really love the documentary he did called Where to Invade Next because he traveled to various countries to look at the different things that they do for their people. Um, so like in France, he looked at school lunches, which are less expensive than school lunches in the United States and planned by a, a an actual chef, a nutritionist, um, and they're well-balanced, include all sorts of different food groups. He goes to Italy and looks at their maternity leave and vacation policies. Um, he goes to Finland, who has some of the highest test scores in the world, but zero homework. I'm like, why couldn't I have gone to school in Finland? Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I always find it interesting to look at other countries and see what they're doing well and why we seem in the U.S. to get in our own way. Because I think that most people that you talk to would agree that we need some sort of gun reform. Yes. Not, like, obviously, nobody's going to take your fucking guns. Yeah, I'm not saying take Calm away the guns. down. But, like, maybe some people don't need them. I'm no. just saying. Good example. My father was mentally ill. He had no reason owning firearms. Nope. But he did. So. No, just some reassessments. Yeah. Or maybe you don't need an AR-15. <laughs> right. I love when I heard that and uh, that someone's excuse was, well, I use that for hunting. Well, you're a really bad hunter, right? sir. <laughs> you, are, you are the worst shot. I just, I just, I don't want to go hunting with you because you're just going to shoot everybody with that. Right? Yeah. Because well, you ain't going to shoot no animals. Tell right? me that. <laughs> you are just about as good of a shot as Dick Cheney. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, anyway. I just switch cackled now, too. So there it is. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's my soapbox. But I, th I thought reading this was actually really interesting. So Australia. Good job. Good on you, because, you know, we still watch babies getting shot in school all the time, and we can't get it together. Yeah. They're probably looking at us shaking our head. Well, I think most of the world right. looked at us for the last four years and shook their heads, but... <laughs> That's so true. What am I talking about? Oh, man. Anyway. I shook, I shook my head so much, I think it's going to fall off one day. Yeah. I've seen my chiropractor so many times the last four years. Oh, man. Uh, anyway, so let's talk about ghosts. Yeah. Okay. Spooky shit. So, uh, more during Port Arthur's 47-year history as a penal colony, more than 1,000 people died. Ooh. And some people argue that the souls of the departed have never left. And I could see that. Yeah. There are a ridiculous number of documented ghost stories, most of which are people feeling cold spots, getting chills, feeling touched when walking down the halls, um, hearing things slam or things move around, 
also light switches turning off and on. There was one story that I found of folks thinking that the caretakers of the settlement were home because there were lights on only to find out that they were on vacation and weren't there. So lots of that sort of creepy stuff. But the real creepy part that I kind of unsettled me when I looked at the pictures yesterday. Mm -hmm. So I found an article from 2015 that showed several pictures of paranormal activity caught on camera. So one of them, there is a little boy who is bending over while sitting next to somebody on a bunk bed. It's like, it's really creepy. Um, I'll have to pull up the picture and show you. Okay. Um, and then there's, you know, I always struggle with the the white marks on pictures, like the weird little orbs and such. Because oh, you mean like the little dust bunnies? Exactly. In front of your camera? We Zach Baggins. We, we, we can't debunk this as being <laughs> dust. Like... <laughs> I, you know what? I want that on a shirt. Yes. With like the little particle on the shirt. It says, I debunked it. <laughs> I debunked it so it's a ghost. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> Him and his debunking. Oh, my God. It's I would like to know what they use to debunk it. Their eyeballs. <laughs> I don't know. They need glasses. Yeah. It's wait, he wears glasses. Never mind. He needs better glasses. He does now, but <laughs> he didn't used to. Oh. Yeah. So I'll uh in the early episodes he didn't. But I'll find this picture in church. It was really, really creepy. Um and then the second picture was that little white mark that's off to the side. So it's somebody who took a picture without using flash and there's like this big white strip that looked like an orb that got dragged down the picture. Mm. So in that respect, it's a little like, Meh. okay, so yeah. that that could be anything really. Um, and then the last image, it the it's cataloged as saying... There were three people on there, three kids looking out the window. I only saw one, but I mean, really, how many ghost children do you need looking out a window to be freaked out? One was enough for me. Right. <laughs> so I, yeah, I'll, I'll find the pictures and show them to you. There. It's, a, it's enough to sage your house. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> so if you would like to visit Port Arthur, um, there is actually, a, you can go and take a couple of different tours. So there's one called the Power of Prison, which is 30 bucks. They have a nighttime ghost tour that is 30 bucks as well. Um, and then you can also do the Isle of the Dead tour, Ooh. a.k.a. the Cemetery tour. Uh, and that one's 25 I like it. Yeah, so admission also includes an interactive museum and access to most areas on foot. There is a buggy that does rounds and eliminates the need for too much walking. Um, But there are also various rotating exhibitions that they show. And there are also some virtual exhibitions that you can check out on their website. Oh, nice. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, so that is Port Arthur. Australia, you doing things. Mm-hmm. I like this. <laughs> well, the next one I picked, and of course when I saw this, I was like, oh yeah, I gotta do this one, is the National Film and Sound Archive nice. of Australia. I was like, ooh, and then I went on this website and it actually looks really cool. Like, mm-hmm. if I ever get to Australia, I would want to go here because mm-hmm. I think it's really, yeah, just what they have in there is good. But, so, the National Film and Sound Archive is also known as Screen Sound Australia. 
but that was from 1999 to 2004. Um, it's Australia's audiovisual archive, and they're responsible for developing, preserving, maintaining, promoting, and providing access to a national collection of film, television, sound, radio, video games, new media, and related documents and artifacts. So the collection ranges from works created in the late 19th century when uh, the recorded sound and film industries were in their infancy. And oh, there's the picture. Nope. Isn't that creepy? No, thanks. It looks like the girl coming from the ring. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's real creepy. Mm -mm. I saw that and went, oh my. So that means we're going. And then that's the that's the orb picture. Oh, yeah, I could see why you were like, nah. Nah. But this one. Yeah, but that one. Can't debunk that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no debunking that picture. Nope. <laughs> um uh, but anyway, so they the collection ranges uh from uh works in the late nineteenth century when, you know, everything kind of started, uh, and to those made in the present day. So, um, the NFSA collection first started as the National Historical Film and Speaking Record Library. Within then... Library. I did it again. Hey, St. Louis, what's up? (laughs) What is wrong with me? You're St. Louis. It's like my grandmother is coming through my body. (laughs) Jeez. Library. There it is. Got it. <laughs> and also known as the Commonwealth National Library <laughs> in 1935, <laughs> becoming an independent independent cultural organization in 1984. And then on October, uh, in October 3rd, Prime Minister Bob Hawke officially opened the NFSA's headquarters in Canberra. And the building to which the archive moved in 1984 was the home of the Australian Institute of Anatomy. That's where all the creepy stories come from. So this uh, originally held the anatomy collection of Sir Colin McKenzie. So I'll get into that later because that's where all the creepy, spooky stuff is. Mm-hmm. Of course, because, you know, it's real people's body parts. So their ghost is going to follow. So <laughs> anyway, so the building is often uh, classified as Art Deco, though its overall architecture style is technically late uh, 20th century uh, stripped classical, as they call it. Uh, the style of ancient Greece and Rome, but simplified and modernized. Uh, it features a symmetrical facade, a horizontal skyline, classical columns, and a central entrance. Mm. Uh, the decorative foyer. I love that word. Foyer. Foyer. Would you like to follow me to my foyer? Foyer. God, I can't wait till I'm rich enough to say that to somebody. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, so <laughs> the decorative foyer features images of native flora, fauna, and aboriginal art and motifs. Uh, face masks of well-known scientists from the late 19th century and early 20th century are featured on the foyer's walls as a reminder of its previous incarnation as the Institute of of anatomy 
I will also touch on that a little bit later. Um, the building also features a landscape courtyard, theater, and research center. In 1999, the building was extended to accommodate the archive's growth. Uh, the new wing's design is in keeping with the Art Deco style of the main structure with details and finishes to match the original look. So just a couple of like collections um that they had so the nfsa collection includes more than three million items encompassing sound recordings radio television film video games and new media in addition to discs films videos audio tapes uh, phonograph cylinders and wire recordings the collection includes supporting documents and artifacts such as personal papers and organizational records photographs posters lobby cards publicity, scripts, costumes, props, memorabilia, and sound, video, and film equipment. So they got a lot of stuff in here. Oh, yeah. I got to go in here. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm already getting excited. I'm not even, like, close to even getting there. Um, so some um, notable holdings that they have. Uh, so they have the Cinesound Movie Tone Australian Newsreel Collection, and that is a collection from uh, 1929 to 1975 and it's a comprehensive collection of 4,000 newsreel films and documentaries uh, representing news stories covering all major events in Australian history. Oh nice. It's really cool. They also have a, a collection they have the holding of the story of the Kelly gang that was from Ooh. 1906 <laughs> directed by Charles Tate. That's cool. And it's the first full-length narrative feature film produced anywhere in the world and was inscribed onto the International Memory of the World Register in 2007. Cool. Yeah, there's some cool stuff in here. <laughs> and then they have the earliest surviving Australian sound recording, The Hen Convention, a novelty song by vocalist John James Villers. So... Yeah. The Hen Convention. The Hen Convention. I'm going to look it up. Just Un Unfamiliar I, with that tune. I, I just want to look it up just to see what it's about. Yeah, man. <laughs> they have the earliest surviving film shot in Australia. Um, uh, Pat... Oh, I'm going to mess this up. I'm so sorry. Uh, Pat Tenure Grotesque. And it's footage of a man performing on roller skates for a crowd in Prince Alfred Park, Sydney. In 1896, shot by Marius Sestier. And then you'll like this part. They have original costumes from Australian films, such as The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. <gasps> yes. <laughs> Muriel's Wedding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Picnic at Hanging Rock and My Brilliant Career. I like it. I was like, yay. <laughs> so while by day it's now de dedicated to collecting and preserving the country's audiovisual heritage some of the um the acton building's 80 something year history is just a little bit darker of course as i mentioned before so as i mentioned it was the australian institute of anatomy so here they played host to countless forensic examinations and also served as a morgue Ugh. yeah <laughs> It housed a, like it housed hundreds and hundreds of human skulls and body parts, most notably far lap. It's a name of a horse. Oh, I was like, what is that? But wait, now far is spelled P-H-A-R. <laughs> of course it is. I was like, whoever came up with that name is a genius for the horse. Anyway, so it was a really famous racehorse, and they have far lap's heart. 
Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and it, they also, there are claims that it was home to Ned Kelly, who was a um, um, Australian bushranger outlaw gang leader and convicted police murderer. Side, side note, if you didn't see that movie with um, Orlando Bloom and uh, Heath Ledger. Oh, I didn't. That's oh, one I haven't seen. Highly, highly recommend. Okay. Because I was like, I feel like I've heard this name before. And that's why I kind of like looked him up. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, I feel like I've heard the story. But I, and then I know there was a movie. But thank you. Yes. Uh, for uh, clearing my mind with that. Because- Heath Ledger and Orlando Bloom. They're both sweet baby angels. It's great. Oh, well, they have Ned Kelly's skull. Oh, no way. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) And there's also a mummy from Papua New Guinea. Oh, no way. Yeah. So they got some cool stuff. That's Well, they used to have some cool stuff. But anyway, (laughs) so um, since, you know, since then, the building frequently makes the most haunted lists. Mm. Plus, there's endless spooky tales from former workers, including the contractor who claims to have been pinned against the wall by something he couldn't see. Oh, creepy. Yeah. So this collection was... Uh, made up by Sir Colin McKenzie. So basically the whole idea was the building. He was actually hoping to get a zoo, but he didn't get that. So he started collecting live things and dead things. I mean, (laughs) as as you do. So he started collecting all these skeletons and artifacts and he housed the living things at his family property in Victoria, which is now the, um, the Hills heelsville sanctuary but the zoo grounds were to cover much of the current australian um national university but not long after work started on the building the depression hit and the um federal government's uh everything just ran dry so when i um so they you know the building kind of went blank until they started doing this whole museum uh for the film and sound so (laughs) the foyer that i mentioned at the beginning uh, of the building is lined with nine busts of the famous australians including two death masks so actually sir collins uh, sir colin mckenzie's ashes are stored in the wall behind a plaque (laughs) that reads oh he he was the one that that started oh yeah yeah Sorry. The, no, the, no, no, I'm the, sorry. The morgue and the... Sorry. Wine. No, no, no. Not your fault. Wine. Wine. <laughs> yes. I'm like trying to like get through this and I'm like... Ugh. No, you're all The okay. wine's kicking in. Um. Anyway, so his uh, plaque reads, uh, C. Momentum Requirius... Oh, I'm going to miss this. I like that you even attempt the Latin instead of just going straight for the translation. Yeah. Okay. Anyway... <laughs> Yeah, thanks. I'll just skip it. You're you're like so right. This is why we're friends. <laughs> Basically, what it reads on the plaque it says, "If you are looking for a monument to me, you are within it." Because it's his tomb. Basically, because his ashes are in it. Uh-huh. Thanks. Good job, buddy. <laughs> but so it's like here's my tomb and you're walking on it welcome my ghost is somewhere in here too so anyway so another of the uh commonly reported ghost sightings is that of a little girl it's always a little girl what always a woman in white or a little girl yeah (laughs) but basically she would pop out through a grate in the old theaterette theaterette yeah whatever theater theater 
<laughs> and make visiting school students laugh. Well, at least she's making them laugh. That's all that matters. <laughs> um, also, they, um, there have been uh, po some poltergeist activity where the dissection laboratories used to be. It's so creepy. <laughs> Um, and since the NFSA moved in, that space has been used as an office with two sound recording booths. So quite often, uh, staff would have meetings in that room and they would hear noises coming from the recording booths and they would see things flying around in there. <laughs> <laughs> and actually you know um all these tapes had fallen out of anti-gravity tape decks which really can't happen unless someone or something kind of forced them out so there's that <laughs> so lots of creepy things happening but also there used to be a morgue there and some dude's ashes in the, is in the walls so Ugh. here we are <laughs> so they actually have a ghost tour at night there if you, I mean, if you don't want to go in the daytime and check out all the cool stuff that they have there in their collections, they have the night tour. And you will join Tim the Yowie Man. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but he will give you a rare look behind the spooky history of the NFSA headquarters. Um, you'll discover the strange, the ghostly, and the disturbing stories lurking in the NFS NFSA basement and under the stairs. If you dare. <laughs> if you dare. Definitely for the lovers of the mysterious and the macabre. And because the tour ventures into the hidden nooks and crannies of the, NF the NFSA, this tour ha will have a reduced COVID capacity. Yay! So that means it's safe to go, but wear your mask and wash your hands. And stuff. <laughs> All that. So, um, um, Spots book really fast for this, uh, but it's $70 and it's for all ages. And you can go to the uh, NFSA website. It's www.nfsa.gov.au. So check him out. Whoop, whoop. Look for Tim the Yowie Man. <laughs> <laughs> Yowie, Zowie. So the second place that I picked is also a prison. I like the theme here because you, you know it's it's a penal colony the whole the whole place <laughs> the penal colony it's what happened that's where you went when you couldn't obey the rules you got banished to australia <laughs> all right so the second place i picked is Fremantle prison oh i was looking at that one too that's yeah cool. <laughs> so um and the reason the reason why i picked it is because one of the ghosts is a redhead of course which i will get into <laughs> Uh, so Fremantle Prison was actually built as a convict barracks in the 19th century and remained in use until 1991. Oh, wow. Yes. So it was a site of hangings, floggings, dramatic convict escapes, and prisoner riots. This is also why I picked this one. Um, so inmates included imperial convicts, colonial prisoners, enemy aliens, prisoners of wars, and maximum security detainees. Uh, so the first convict transport actually sailed to Fremantle Harbor in 1850, and it was initially known as the Convict Establishment, built by convict labor from 1852 and 1859 using limestone quarried on the site. I'm noticing a theme here. Okay. Slave labor. I left. <laughs> 
<laughs> for profit prisons. Um, anyway, so the first prisoners actually moved into the main cell block in 1855. So. The establishment was renamed as Fremantle Prison in 1867. Transportation ceased the following year uh, when the last few convicts were carried to Fremantle. Nearly 10,000 convicts passed through, quote unquote, the establishment between 1850 and 1868. 18 years, 10,000 people, 10,000 criminals. That's wow. bonkers. Um, so at first only imperial convicts were confined there, but by 1886, less than 60 convicts remained inside a prison to hold a thousand men. So Perth Gale crossed and or closed and Fremantle prison actually became the colony's primary place of confinement for men, women, and juveniles. With the population boom of the 1890s gold rush, Fremantle became a busy place once again. So, more space had to be found to support the prison population. So, after uh, the Rottnest Island Aboriginal Prison closed in 1903, prisoners from Fremantle were then sent to the island to carry out public works. New division was built and opened up in 1907. And during the Second World War, the Australian Defense Department sequestered part of the prison as a military detention center. Mm -hmm. and a large number of italian australians identified as quote-unquote enemy aliens were incarcerated at Fremantle during the war sure sounds a lot like the (laughs) internment camps Mm -hmm. in the united states also during (laughs) world war ii i'm you know yeah yeah it's unfortunate (sighs) so let's talk a little bit about some of the the flogging and the lashings that occurred. Ooh, flogging. Yeah. So, (laughs) misbehaving prisoners were punished with flogging, solitary confinement, and working in chain gangs at gunpoint. Particularly difficult prisoners were put to work hand-pumping groundwater into the prison's reservoir. Known as cranking, it was especially despised by the prisoners. Staff actually disliked beating prisoners. Um, And in 1851, out of a total of 400 lashings that were ordered, only 150 were actually remitted as the superintendent could not find anybody to actually do it. Um, The role was so disliked that inducements were actually offered, uh, including extra pay or improved lodgings. Here, we'll pay you more to be prisoners. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, man. Oh, boy. Um, And then punishments actually evolved over the course of about 30 years. So by the 1880s, punishments actually included a restricted diet of bread and water, uh, time and irons, and a lengthening of a prisoner's sentence. Uh, Cat and nine tails, which had been used since the early days of prison, was abolished actually in 1911. Uh, Other reforms actually saw the number of punishments inflicted decreased over the course of the years until 1915. So flogging was eventually discontinued in the 1940s. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I like guess you're disappointed. <laughs> oh, we don't beat people up anymore. Um, so from that decade, punishments were decided by the superintendent after hearing uh, the case against a prisoner or by a magistrate for v- grievous violations. Um, so lesser, lesser transgressions would actually result in solitary confinement. 
or restrictions like from visitors or education um, and serious offenses were punishable by the cancellation of any remission of an earned a bread and water diet so I always uh my you know good old dear old dad full of jokes fucking father of the year uh <laughs> used to joke about you know gifts giving me bread and water if I didn't eat my vegetables but now I actually you know know where it came from prison um so as soon as Fremantle prison actually came under local control in 1886, a refractory block with gallows was planned. Mm. So this is where uh, we start seeing some interesting things happening. So it ended up being completed in 1888 and was first used in 1889 to execute convicted murderer Jimmy Long. Oh, boy. Yeah, uh, the gallows room was the only lawful place of execution in Western Australia uh, from 1888 to 1984. That's a long time. Uh, and at least 43 men and one woman were hanged during oh. this time. Martha Rendell was the only woman to be hanged in the prison in 1909. And the last person to be hanged was serial killer Eric Edgar Cook, who was executed in 1964. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, so I included this because it's kind of weird. Uh, the execution process actually was under a really strict procedure. So the day from the day of the sentencing of death, prisoners were kept in a concrete floored cell and they were vigilantly observed to prevent them from escaping their sentence through suicide. Oh, that's a little weird. Yeah. Like, no, you don't get to take your own life. We have to end it for you. It's weird. Um, and <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Um, and hangings actually took place on Monday mornings promptly at 8 a.m. You know, ironically enough, that's how I felt about my Monday morning meetings that took place at 8 a.m. in my last job. <laughs> oh, man. I think that's any job. <laughs> I totally like no shade but dreaded those meetings oh my god thank god i don't work there anymore i did not have enough caffeine for that <laughs> um and then condemned prisoners were woken three hours earlier provided with the last meal showering clean clothes very sad mm. mm-hmm. um and then Fun, fun fact, there were a multitude of attempted escapes from Fremantle prison oh so some of the more prominent escapees included Moondyne Joe in 1867, John Boyle O'Reilly in 1869, and six other Finians in 1876, and Brendan Abbott in 1989. Oh. Yeah. We go for a long period of time with that one. I like this. <laughs> yep. Um, and then let's talk about the riots. Oh, I'm sure there were plenty. Let's start riot. <laughs> so... Uh, there were two big riots that occurred. One, actually, just a few days before I was born, and the other occurred 20 years earlier. So, oh. first one took place on June 4th, 1968, um, and was precipitated by the serving of allegedly contaminated food to prisoners the previous evening. Hmm. Uh, other factors that contributed were the deplorable state of sanitation and personal cleanliness facilities, tougher sentencing that was introduced with the Parole Act of 1964, and overcrowding. 
So when the work bell was rung at 1 p.m., the prisoners lost their shit, (laughs) refused to go back to work, and they assembled themselves out in the exercise yards. And the prison superintendent actually negotiated with two of the prisoners, um, as well as better food. They demanded single cells and the dismissal of specific wardens. Oh. Let's start a riot. The power. Yep. So let's fast forward 20 years, uh, 20 years and 20 days before uh, Sarah was born. So January 4th, 1988. It was 108 degrees outside. Nope. Nope. 42 degrees Celsius for our friends on the metric system. But because we're dumb Americans and can't convert things, <laughs> they tried to do the metric system here in the 70s. And we, it just did not work. Everybody are, was confused. No, we are not smart, guys. I mean, clearly, <laughs> <laughs> we just, we can't do it. So 42 degrees Celsius, 108 degrees outside. Um, officers decided that prisoners should remain outside in the exercise yards that afternoon. But Why? This sounds like my hometown. (laughs) Oh my god! They're just trying to kill them so there's not that many. Yeah. (laughs) So as Division Three prisoners were let outside at four, a voice yelled, "Let's take them!" And then simultaneously, guards were splashed with boiling water that was used to make tea. Ooh. Yeah. A that's a bad day. Uh, A horde of prisoners stormed the cell block attacked guards with whatever makeshift weapons they could find, um, which resulted in complete pandemonium, and prisoners rushed all along the landings, overpowered officers, and took them hostage. Uh, And then, at the same time, prisoners started darting between cells, and a la the trash can man from the stand, they started a bunch (laughs) of fires. So, the prisoners actually went back out to the exercise yard. They took six hostages, and the flames overram the building and spread into the rafters and caused the roof to collapse. Oh, boy. Um, Yeah. Crazy town. So, it took 19 hours to negotiate with the prisoners. All hostages were released, um, and only a third of the prisoners' demands were met. However... They did have an opportunity to communicate with the press during the siege, and the riot was a completely live media event with television helicopters Ooh. from overhead. Nice. Nobody was killed, but the fires caused $1.8 million in damage. Ooh. Yep. Uh, so, quite a mess. Uh, and then the government actually initiated an inquiry into the event um, that was completed within six weeks. And a trial involving 33 prisoners charged over the riot ended up being held the largest in the state's history, which resulted in lengthened sentences for the prisoners. Huh. Yeah. So, crazy. Like, what a crazy mm. freaking history. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yep. Uh, so, let's talk about some ghosties. Yay. So. Same thing. Uh, there are there is quite a bit of poltergeist activity over here. Uh, lots of things bumping around, particularly in the shipwrecks galley. Um, but the main reason why I picked this prison is because of the redheaded ghost. Ooh, yes. I'm ready. So, <laughs> so I believe that this is the ghost of a woman who lost her daughter, um, and. 
her she was actually placed at the asylum nearby Mm. back in the 1800s her daughter had been abducted and her daughter happened to also be a redhead um this poor woman couldn't handle the fact that her daughter had never been found and she went completely cuckoo thus being placed in the asylum yeah um so she spent all of her time there looking for her daughter and ended up jumping out of the window at the front taking her own life Mm. so it's said that she has a thing for redheads and often uh people around her can feel their hair being pulled oh so so i, I ain't going oh i was gonna say that means we're going right mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> nope 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 just to see what happens nope um and then uh another a tour guide actually has another couple of stories so he says that one of the most common obviously the most common things they get are orbs on photos or just round balls Mm -hmm. of light um but he's also heard some uh really unexplainable things from some of the other guides so one of the guides was taking a tour through the morgue and he there was a guy who was trying to take photos in the morgue and his camera wouldn't work but every time he pressed the button his cell phone rang and there was nobody there that's strange. That's really, really weird. I Ugh. thought that one was interesting. Um, so that is Fremantle Prison. Uh, they actually offer a super cool true crime tour that Ooh. is 22 bucks. I like um, this. Yeah, super cool. So it was actually decommissioned as a prison on November 8th, 1991. And its remaining prisoners were transferred to Casunaria Prison. Sorry, guys, Um, which actually replaced Fremantle as being the state's main maximum security prison. Um, But after it closed, the West Australia state government embarked on a long term conservation plan to ensure that its preservation continued for generations. Hmm. And it is one of the largest surviving convict prisons in the world. Wow. Yeah. I like all this prison talk. But you know what it made me think of? Mm. Um, more wine. Um, it made me think of the 19 crimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they all got sent to a prison colony in Australia. Every single person on there? Yep. Really? Yeah, every, like, 19 crime that they it was based on, they were sent to one of those colonies. Everybody on the 19 crimes models? Yeah. Damn, I didn't know that. Yeah. And it, I was just like, I just had to look it up really because I'm like... <laughs> All these sound so familiar. <laughs> and then I looked it up. They don't say like which one specifically. It tells you the 19, the reason why it's called 19 crimes mm-hmm. is because of what they were sent to each crime that they, you know, did. Mm. There's 19 of them. Mm. But if you, I don't know if, if read, uh, listeners, if you, I almost said readers, <laughs> listeners, if you try to, you have to download an app and if you put your camera to it, it, the bottle comes to life and it actually tells you the story, like what they did. Ooh. It's kind of cool, but creepy at the same time because it's like a ghost talking on your phone. But anyway, it just made me think of that. Ooh. But yeah. Well, there you have it. Haunted Australia. There's so many places. I feel like we could probably do this again later at some point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or just talk about spiders because... <laughs> Since you like to look them up on your tablet. I do. Um, <laughs> well, that's it. 
for this episode. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Make sure you like us on Facebook and also follow us on Instagram and um Make sure you um, rate and subscribe us to uh, wherever you listen to our podcast. Indeed. Yes. All of that good stuff. Also, we have merch. <laughs> we do. Your dog's cold. Yes. Buy our merch. We're going to have more stuff hopefully coming soon for you guys. But yes, we still have all the cool, wonderful Squaggles merch. So get on our website. Uh, thesquawkghouls.com we also have a contact form in there where you can email us some ideas that if you if there's something that you want to hear let us know yes we love suggestions we've had we've done plenty of them on our episodes so please share with us and you can also email us at uh, thesquawkghouls at gmail.com yeah and we are also kitty fx ambassadors so uh be sure to check out their website they're actually running a pretty cool sale right now although now that i say that i realize it'll be over oh by the time this airs that's okay but they do have a new collection coming out soon so be sure to follow them on instagram and uh you can use our code squad ghouls for 15 percent off of your order or you can go directly to our website and we have a link on our website to navigate you to the Kitty FX shop and it automatically applies your 15% off at checkout. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Check them out. Got some good stuff. Indeed. Creep it real, folks. We'll scare you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>